J.C. Ryle's Devotional Thoughts on the Gospel of Luke Section 11 The Birth of Christ at Bethlehem Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. We have in these verses the story of a birth, the birth of the incarnate Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every birth of a living child is a marvelous event. It brings into being a soul that will never die. But never since the world began was a birth so marvelous as the birth of Christ. In itself, it was a miracle. God was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 The blessings it brought into the world were unspeakable. It opened to man the door of everlasting life. In reading these verses, Let us first notice the times when Christ was born. It was in the days when Augustus, the first Roman emperor, made a decree that all the world should be taxed. The wisdom of God appears in this simple fact. The scepter was practically departing from Judah. Genesis 49.10 The Jews were coming under the dominion and taxation of a foreign power. Strangers were beginning to rule over them. They had no longer a really independent government of their own. The due time had come for the promised Messiah to appear. Augustus taxes the world, and at once Christ is born. It was a time peculiarly suitable for the introduction of Christ's gospel. The whole civilized earth was at length governed by one master, Daniel 2.40. There was nothing to prevent the preacher of a new faith going from city to city and country to country. The princes and priests of the heathen world had been weighed in the balances and found lacking. Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome had all successively proved that the world, by wisdom, knew not God. 1 Corinthians one twenty one, Notwithstanding their mighty conquerors and poets and historians and architects and philosophers, the kingdoms of the world were full of dark idolatry. It was indeed due time for God to interpose from heaven and send down an almighty Savior. It was due time for Christ to be born. Romans 5.6 Let us ever rest our souls on the thought that times 
are in God's hand. Psalm 31.15 He knows the best season for sending help to his church and new light to the world. Let us beware of giving way to over-anxiety about the course of events around us, as if we knew better than the King of Kings what time relief should come. Cease, Philip, to try to govern the world, was a frequent saying of Luther to an anxious friend. It was a saying full of wisdom. Let us notice, secondly, the place where Christ was born. It was not at Nazareth of Galilee, where his mother, the Virgin Mary, lived. The prophet Micah had foretold that the event was to take place at Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. And so it came to pass. At Bethlehem, Christ was born. The overruling providence of God appears in this simple fact. He orders all things in heaven and earth. He turns the hearts of kings wherever he will. He overruled the time when Augustus decreed the taxing. He directed the enforcement of the decree in such a way that Mary must needs be at Bethlehem when the time came for the baby to be born. Little did the haughty Roman emperor and his officer Cyrenius think that they were only instruments in the hand of the God of Israel and were only carrying out the eternal purposes of the King of Kings. Little did they think that they were helping to lay the foundation of a kingdom before which the empires of this world would all go down one day and Roman idolatry pass away. The words of Isaiah upon a like occasion should be remembered. He means not so, neither does his heart think so. Isaiah 10.7 The heart of a believer should take comfort in the recollection of God's providential government of the world. A true Christian should never be greatly moved or disturbed by the conduct of the rulers of the earth. He should see with the eye of faith a hand overruling all that they do to the praise and glory of God. He should regard every king and potentate, an Augustus, a Cyrenius, a Darius, a Cyrus, a Sennacherib, as a creature who, with all his power, can do nothing but what God allows, and nothing which is not carrying out God's will. And when the rulers of this world set themselves against the Lord, he should take comfort in the words of Solomon, There is one higher than they. Ecclesiastes 5, 8 Let us notice, lastly, the manner in which Christ was born. He was not born under the roof of his mother's house, but in a strange place and at an inn. When born, he was not laid in a carefully prepared cradle. He was laid in a manger, that is, a feeding trough for the cattle, because there was no room in the inn. We see here the grace and condescension of Christ. 
Had he come to save mankind with royal majesty, surrounded by his father's angels, it would have been an act of undeserved mercy. Had he chosen to dwell in a palace with power and great authority, we should have had reason enough to wonder. But to become poor as the very poorest of mankind, and lowly as the very lowliest, this is a love that passes knowledge. It is unspeakable and unsearchable. Never let us forget that through this humiliation, Jesus has purchased for us a title to glory. Through his life of suffering, as well as his death, he obtained eternal redemption for us. All through his life, he was poor for our sakes, from the hour of his birth to the hour of his death. And through his poverty, we are made rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 Let us beware of despising the poor because of their poverty. Their condition is one which the Son of God has sanctified and honored by taking it voluntarily on himself. God is no respecter of people. He looks at the hearts of men and not their incomes. Let us never be ashamed of the affliction of poverty if God thinks fit to lay it upon us. To be godless and covetous is disgraceful, but it is no disgrace to be poor. A lowly dwelling place and coarse food and a hard bed are not pleasing to flesh and blood, but they are the portion which the Lord Jesus himself willingly accepted from the day of his entrance into the world. Wealth ruins far more souls than poverty. When the love of money begins to creep over us, let us think of the manger at Bethlehem and of him who was laid in it. Such thoughts may deliver us from much harm.